0: Welcome to On the Ball with Rick Buker. Here's your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buecher. Rick Buker. This is On the Ball on the United WeCast Network, and I am Rick Buecher. You can see me on FS1, hear me on Fox Sports Radio, and you can read me on the Fox Sports app and at foxsports.com. You can also follow me on X, the former Twitter, Instagram, and Threads at Rick Buecher. I'm a lot of places, but there's only one place you can hear me talking about story angles and perspectives that you are not likely to find anywhere else, primarily but not exclusively involving the NBA, and that is here. I always plan to provide a bonus episode this week as a holiday special or Christmas gift to my listeners, perhaps making their drive to get last-minute gifts or visit friends and family a little easier. But... Then a slew of developments in the NBA made another episode this week feel like a necessity. Let's start with the return of Ja Morant from his 25-game suspension, in which he scored 34 points, 14 in the fourth quarter, and it included a hang-in-the-air floater to win the game at the buzzer. 115, 113, all of this over the New Orleans Pelicans. There is so much to get into here. Let's start with providing some context. Ja led the Grizzlies back from a 24 point deficit in this game and ended their five game losing streak. And he did it in a rather unorthodox way. The man scored all of his points in the paint or from the free throw line. The 6 2, maybe 165 pound soaking wet point guard did not score any place else, free throw line or from the paint. He only took a total of six shots out of his 24 total outside of the paint, missed all of them, including five three-pointers. By the fourth quarter, the Pelicans had to know that all he was looking to do was to get downhill and wasn't going to shoot until he was inside the shadow of the backboard. And yet, they were helpless to stop him that's pretty extraordinary, particularly with the Pelicans. They have size and length and some decent one-on-one defenders, starting with Herb Jones, who was on job most of the night, including on the final possession. For that possession, Pelicans head coach Willie Green put five switchable, nearly identical defenders on the floor, hoping to force OT. It was Herb Jones, Brandon Ingram, Dyson Daniels, Trey Murphy, and Najee Marshall. They're practically carbon copies. All of them are 6'8", except for Murphy, who's 6'7". They're all long, lanky, super athletic. But Green, beyond that, didn't do anything special to get the ball out of Jaw's hands, which, considering he already had 12 fourth-quarter points and no one else had even attempted a shot, Uh, by the grizzlies in the final three and a half minutes of the game i mean didn't even attempt a shot they might have thought about doing something a little more to make one of those other grizzlies who hadn't taken a shot to have to put something up then again only the spurs and wizards have blown more double-digit leads this season than the pelicans that's not company you want to keep And I believe the loss to the Grizzlies was the seventh time this season that New Orleans has built a sizable lead and then wasted it. So let's keep in mind for all of the theatrics that Ja could not have picked a better team to face in his first game back because they came in on a winning streak and with a winning record. So they looked maybe more respectable, maybe even borderline formidable as an opponent than they actually were. What really surprised me, though, is that Herb Jones couldn't do more to make life difficult on him. Maybe that's why Willie Green never went for the hard trap as soon as Ja crossed half court. That's the only explanation I have. Uh, and and but but Herb ultimately couldn't. Um, and to think that Herb couldn't do it when Ja was not or couldn't didn't hit a shot outside of the paint. Pretty extraordinary. You know where he's going. He's going into a confined space, and yet you can't stop him from getting a shot up at 6'2". Now, the Grizzlies' radio play-by-play man went a little overboard after the win, saying that the Grizzlies showed they are going to make a charge back into the Western Conference picture. There are a couple reasons why I wouldn't count on that unless the picture is so wide it includes the play-in games. First, job ja being suspended isn't the only reason they haven't looked like a team that finished with the second best record in the West last season. Steven Adams has had season-ending surgery. Brandon Clark still hasn't played a minute. Tyus Jones, the most efficient backup point guard in the league last season, is wasting his time in Washington with the Wizards. And as much as Dylan Brooks became a punching bag, some of it self-inflicted for sure, there were far more nights when he was a plus than he was a minus or a distraction. Him going to Houston wasn't addition by subtraction. And they didn't add anyone to replace his swagger and orneriness on defense. I mean, I suppose you could say that Marcus Smart is that, but... Marcus Smart has not been available for a, a healthy amount of this season, and it's not as if he was taking the place and playing alongside Ja to this point. He was having to replace Ja, and as much as I respect Marcus Smart and his game, I'm not looking him to him to replace both Ja and Dylan Brooks. If you are, or if you were, it's one more reason why the Grizzlies have the record that they do. The other reason that I'm not certain that the Grizzlies are going to move up into the top four or five teams in the West or even be a threat when it comes to the playoffs is because of how Ja plays. Now, I believe what we've seen from him so far, uh, he's played two games now, Grizzlies have won both, beating the Pacers as well as the Pelicans. What I've seen is a far less acrobatic jaw in how he attacks the basket and he's not trying to fly over everybody he's content to try to slither through and find angles to get the ball up off the glass or over the rim and clearly utilizing a uh, far more ground-bound game than trying to crush dunks on people's heads and that's good it should keep him healthier over the course of the season in his career every player learns this young guys coming to the league if they are if they're dunkers, they want to throw everything down. They wanna they want to throw a dunk down on everybody. And then they realize I gotta play eighty-two games a year. And there are some times where I'm gonna get knocked off balance and I'm gonna to have to land. And at the end of the day, two points is two points. Whether it's a dunk or it's a layup or it's a floater. And so I believe that Ja's gotten that message now. And my guess is Derek Rose is also on the roster. Who also went through a very similar development or evolution. I'm guessing that Rose helped Ja accept that change and also develop the shots necessary to to still score even when you're not trying to fly over everybody. But he doesn't, even with that said, he doesn't get anything easy and he really doesn't create easy opportunities or at least The way the Grizzlies run their offense doesn't. Ja has to expend a ton of energy. And for comparison, so does Steph Curry. The difference is Steph does all that moving around without the ball, which is infinitely less taxing. Anybody who's been a ball handler can tell you that. Almost in any sport. The Warriors offense and the passing of Draymond Green, and now Chris Paul in particular, gets Steph's. It gets Steph looks that no one is creating for Ja. There are no easy backdoor layups being generated for Ja. And Steph also doesn't need to get to the paint to score consistently because of his long-range shooting. Ja does. My greater concern, though, is if Ja has tamed his wild side off the court. And we really aren't going to know that for a while. I did think it was interesting that his dad was courtside for his return game on the road, in new orleans it would be one thing if he was there in memphis but he was there on the road i don't know if he flew on the team plane or not would not be surprised if he did but nonetheless there have been reports that portrayed team orant jaw's dad as a questionable influence on his son and i've had people in the nba tell me the same thing and for those of you who take exception to that innuendo or who want to applaud T for being a father who is present and who, how dare you? I mean, at least he's showing up. Uh, For those of you who have that mindset, you need to raise your standards because being a dad is a hell of a lot more than just being present. No, I'm not giving you bonus points because you decided to show up and be present in the presence of your offspring some sons might be better served by dads who actually weren't present and miss me with the hey at least he's involved in his son's life that he's not an absentee dad when your son is an nba star and provides you access to the nba life courtside seats and all being present isn't exactly a sacrifice or a duty and sacrifice is very much what a good dad does because it sets an example know that if you're present your kids are watching and hearing everything you do and say and if your actions don't match up with what you say is correct behavior your authority your influence has been compromised whether you know it or not and maybe the hardest thing to do as a parent is to step back is to step aside as they're coming up adolescence early teens that's the time where you can be instructive where you want to be there when you want to be showing them you want to be taking the lead but at this point this is the time where you need to recognize that it's your kids show and i would say that that starts in college There's no one you can take some of the limelight if you want but you're taking it away from your kid. You, just, you, should, you should understand that. You should know that. And to me, again, it's another demonstration of a principle where I'm not going to take something that... I, I, helped you, I helped you get that because I wanted you to have it, not because I wanted you to get it for me. That, at least, is my view of things. Now, that his dad was there doesn't necessarily mean anything. I'm not saying that's an automatic negative. Ja could have learned his lesson. T could have cleaned up his alleged act. I wasn't wild about hearing that Ja is keeping receipts from his time when he was out. Receipts? For what? From who? He's the reason that he missed 25 games. Let's be clear. He's the one who essentially lied to Commissioner Adam Silver's face that he wasn't going to be involved in any more gun demonstrations on social media. And then, sure enough, there was yet another one that came, that surfaced. Anyone who might have criticized him for the actions that resulted in that suspension were doing so because those actions contradicted what he said he was going to do and who we've taken him to be, who he has led us to believe that he is and because those critics see what his potential is and are loath to see him waste it. If he thinks anyone is unjustly disappointed in or critical of him, it means he doesn't fully accept that he was the sole architect of his demise, which would mean he doesn't believe he and he alone is responsible for it not happening again. Or, Maybe that that punishment and criticism weren't fully merited. Maybe he thinks that. I hope not. The world of basketball is a hell of a lot more fun and entertaining when John Morant is in it. And if he has not learned his lesson when it comes to off the court, then the chances are we're not going to get all that fun and entertainment. Wow. Nice. Yeah. Next item, Shaquille O'Neal, needs no introduction, is on TNT, recently suggested, I believe after Steph Curry led the Warriors to a comeback overtime win over the Boston Celtics. Not 100% certain on the timing of that, but it was a game that TNT uh, showed, and it was the Warriors winning and Curry doing something fabulous. Anyway, Shaq took the time to suggest unprecedented, unprompted that Curry is in the conversation for greatest player of all time, which then became talk show and social media fodder with a healthy number of people agreeing with Shaq. Now, I have a soft spot for Shaq. I believe I've shared some some of the reason why on previous episodes, and I think the world of Curry. But this is a non-starter to be in the conversation means there is reason to possibly say he is or he could be the greatest player ever there is no reason to say that there will be no reason to say that now if you want to say he's one of the most influential players ever I I can go with that I can't give him all the credit for how the game has changed as much as uh, most people do the Warriors' offense, Klay Thompson and Draymond Green, and how they fit with Steph, how th- those three of them, their games and their personalities fit, all those are vital contributing factors to what the Warriors created. Steph is the face of it. He is the, the warhead, if you will. And he's also the biggest benefactor. I mentioned in the last episode the players are being compared favorably to legends from previous eras based on statistics and video clips. The rare grainy ones from years past versus the electric multiple angle high def ones of today. I mean, if you just kind of take a step back, we should not be using those uh, as, as limited as they are. First of all, just because they are limited. We're talking about video clips. We're talking about highlights. We're not basing our decisions on who the all-time greats are based on highlights and we're also in the era of three-point goose freedom of movement offensive numbers offense is at an all-time high today for a reason the rules have been slanted the game itself and the way it's played has been slanted for people to put up prodigious numbers so all of this debate is going to naturally skew toward modern day players Also in part because those who saw those legends play rarely are taking part in the debate and because it requires actually seeing players play game in and game out to know exactly how great a player is. You can't pull up a spreadsheet, not in basketball, and determine who the greatest is. I'm sorry, you can't. Stats and video clips from the past versus endless highlight clips and banners on TV, on 24 7 sports channels, is no contest. And those banners being statistical banners, showing the numbers that a guy has accumulated. It also requires seeing a player play defense to understand what he's doing at that end of the floor if he's doing anything. And I suspect defense gets short shrift in discussing who the best players in the league are, current or historically, because it's difficult to define defense by numbers. You can't find a spreadsheet that is thick enough to look like it means something. You actually have to understand the principles of good defense, the responsibilities of an individual within the context of his defense, and then pay attention to that player playing defense, whether they are on the ball or not. I've done this for a long time. It still takes a certain amount of discipline for me not to follow the ball, not to get sucked in, but to look at what's going on off the ball. And it's easy. Defensively, looking at a guy defending, again, not understanding. I don't think people fully understand what the responsibilities are and why a guy like Anthony Edwards would say he can score on Michael Jordan because one-on-one pretty much... Anybody can score on anybody of, of if they're a scorer. It's about team defense and how a player plays within that defense that truly makes them a great defender. And you have to understand what it is that that team defense is trying to do, which is how anyone outside of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar or Michael Jordan even enters the conversation. The flip side is, if we're going to consider defense the way we consider offense, and that if a player is dominant on defense, it's the same as a player who's dominant on, on offense, then if we're putting Steph in the conversation, then Bill Russell certainly has to be in the conversation. Because he was everything defensively that Steph is offensively. He changed the game defensively. But even if we're limiting the conversation to offense, Steph is nowhere near Kareem or Jordan or LeBron James. Jordan won 10 scoring titles. 10 scoring titles. Seven of them consecutively. For seven consecutive seasons, Jordan was the leading scorer in the NBA. Steph has won two scoring titles. 5 years apart. That's it. Now Kareem was the all-time leading scorer and LeBron currently is. Where's Curry on the list all-time scoring? 39th. That doesn't sound all-time greatish to me. So how exactly is he in the conversation? greatest shooter ever or greatest three-point shooter ever sure okay but who held that title before him for my money it would be steve nash some might say kevin durant or ray allen or larry bird whoever you pick were they ever in the conversation prior to curry taking their title as the greatest player ever nobody shoots from 30 feet nobody's ever done that before you're right nobody's ever done that before Michael Jordan never had a two-guard who led a team to a championship, much less six of them. Small forward in Larry Bird. This new wrinkle in terms of leading a team. So maybe, just maybe, Bird at one point was in the conversation, in the conversation, for greatest. But then again, Larry was so much more than just a shooter or a scorer. And this is not to say the Curry is only that. He's not. But that's the thing that catches everybody's attention. And I get the sense it's the primary reason why anybody would suggest that he's in the conversation. Because of his scoring. And there is, of course, a way to measure how good a player was or is defensively. Count the all-defense awards. Jordan was first-team all-defense nine times. And was named Defensive Player of the Year twice. The best defensive player in the league twice. Along with 10 scoring titles. Kareem was first team All-Defense five times. Second team, six times. Curry, never. There is much to love, appreciate, and admire about Steph. We don't need to inflate who he is or pull him into comparisons that are actually not going to serve him, no matter who does the pulling. Now, where I do agree with Shaq wholeheartedly is that we have to stop talking about Draymond Green as if he is some deeply troubled human being who has grave psychological problems. All because he, what? Because he cracked Yusuf Nurkic upside the head with a blind backhanded swing or that he pulled Rudy Gobert off of a teammate and had to do it with his arm around Rudy's neck or that he punched a teammate mouthing off to him. I know the NBA in particular and sports in general are softer than they've ever been but this is what anyone who thinks Draymond is a bit of a psycho has to understand. You have to be a little psychotic to be six foot six inches and 230 pounds and guard seven footers who outweigh you by 70 pounds for a living you're not going to survive much less be effective at a championship level unless you are a little psychotic all this talk about the warriors are responsible for Draymond's behavior you're damn right they are they channeled it into being a four-time champion and him being a Defensive Player of the Year. I've seen guys do far more dangerous, dirty things on a basketball court and not be suspended indefinitely or have people suggesting that they are unfit for society. The pressure of playing professional sports is not your run-of-the-mill job pressure. I know it looks like fun, it's a game, etc. The rewards, immensely high. But so are the demands. And that cliff... If you are not good enough, suddenly not good enough, it is a long fall. Your work is on full display every single night, being dissected and critiqued by keyboard talent, evalu- uh, talent evaluators and hot take artists, half of whom don't fully understand exactly what it is you do and why you do it. But they all have megaphones. They all have platforms. They have, all have the ability to mock and criticize and insult you in a public forum thanks to social media has Draymond's behavior hurt him and the Warriors over the last year or so no doubt but it is one of a half dozen things let's be clear one of a half dozen things that have undermined the Warriors this season and last I don't know if you all all of you saw it but Jordan Poole was asked about his experience with the Warriors recently I guess with Jordan coming in with the Wizards to play the Warriors And he said it was cool to get to play with Kevon Looney and Andrew Wiggins. Now, I get, yes, that's a diss. I get that he might feel some kind of way about Draymond Green and would rightfully say it wasn't cool to play with Draymond, even though they won a championship together. But not mentioning Steph or Klay Thompson either is a tell. Draymond wasn't the only one who'd had enough of Jordan or had to deal with Jordan's insolence and he knows that if he's willing to diss Steph, Clay, and Draymond publicly especially someone like Steph who essentially took him under his wing and helped him develop this is when Steph was hurt recovering from the broken wrist who had no problem with Jordan starting over him in the playoffs the year that they end up winning the championship, who talked him up at every opportunity, then what do you think that Jordan was like privately with those cats on a daily basis? If Steph was doing all of that publicly and Jordan still feels no sense of regret or debt to what the Warriors, and Steph Curry in particular, did for him. It's certainly not the level of respect that they deserve. Now, I feel for Steph right now because Draymond's suspension has put a heavier burden on him, especially to lead the team emotionally. He's done it and I'd say that he's done it well, but still it's a heavy load that he hasn't always had to carry by himself. In preparing for this podcast, I by the way, I Googled the dirtiest players just to see what came up. And lo and behold, there's a list, a ranking with Draymond Green as number one. Talk about recency bias. What Draymond has done in no way compares to what Bill Lambeer or Carl Malone or Jawan Howard or J.R. Reed did in their time. There's not a single thing that Draymond Green has done that tops. Kevin McHale's clothesline of Kurt Rambis. Now, what Draymond is guilty of is gamesmanship. A tactic that he's leaned on more, I'd say, as his skills and his athleticism have dissipated and the Warriors collectively have seen their margin of error shrink. You can't tell me that the Warriors losing record, Draymond having more fouls than points or rebounds, while Nurkic was on his way to a near triple-double, didn't all play into Draymond recklessly swinging his arms with Nurkic guarding him that night. What I saw was an act of reckless frustration. But how many games did Nurkic miss after Draymond clocked him? He didn't even stop playing in that game. So let's take a beat. Let's take a breath when it comes to determining that Draymond Green is not fit for society and obviously has psychological issues. Look, just because Nurk might have said it or Rudy Gobert said it doesn't make it true. Draymond Green is is Draymond Green. He has been Draymond Green. The difference is he's not having the same level of success being Draymond. And that has given an entirely different perspective on what he's doing saw the same evolution with Dennis Rodman. Dennis Rodman is winning with the Bulls. Look, winning is often said. It's the uh, ideal deodorant. Makes everything seem great. Take it away. You're not winning. Now you're losing. Now all those things that you did, now those are the reason that you're losing. Not necessarily. Not actually at all. All right, that does it for this episode of On the Ball on the United Wecast Network. Please rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Not sure where we're going to go with the next episode, but it will be after the Christmas Day games. And so I would imagine a breakdown of what we see on Christmas and what it means for the season going forward. Hearing a lot of things about the Lakers... Uh, especially from scouts that makes me wonder just where they are in the NBA universe right now. And whether, whether looking at what's happened to the Pacers and the Lakers, if the in-season tournament maybe took something out of them because both of them have been losing decidedly ever since they met in the finals of the in- season tournament. We'll get to a couple of those topics in the next episode. In the meantime, I'm wishing you a very Merry Christmas, a happy holiday. I will hit you again before the new year. But in the meantime, as always, thanks for listening.